You're listening to the Cornerstone Chapel High School Youth Ministry. Let's head into the service for this week's message. Pastor Tyler is uh, on spring break, so I'm here uh, to share with you guys this morning, but I'm excited to be here. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Jimmy. I work here at the church. I've uh, been friends with Tyler for years and years, and so when he's gone, I usually get to fill in for him. Um, But I'm excited to be here with you guys uh, this weekend, and so we're going to have a good time studying the Word together. Well, I don't know if you guys uh, were aware or not, but today's kind of a special Sunday. If you come regularly to Cornerstone, you're aware that we study our way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, kind of one book at a time, and, uh, and Pastor Tyler probably normally works through uh, one book of the Bible he'll pick, and you guys go through that, but occasionally, a couple times a year, we deviate, we do something special, and today's one of those days. Uh, for those of you that didn't know, today is Palm Sunday. And uh, it's kind of a, uh, it's an exciting day, and so we're going to look at the Palm Sunday story together. So if you have your Bibles, open to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to be looking at the Palm Sunday story out of Luke 19, verse 28. Luke chapter 19. Everybody has a Bible? All right, look at your Bible, close your mouth, and be quiet and listen. All righty. Luke chapter 19. Look with me as we read the story together this morning. Verse 28 says this. It says, After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at a hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying him? Tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, uh, on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it and said, If you, even you had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Well, let's pray and we'll dive into our study. Lord, we're grateful for this morning that we can open your word together. We thank you for Palm Sunday. And God, we pray that as we study this morning, that you would open our hearts, Lord, and our ears to hear your word. Lord, that we would take these things and we would apply them to our lives. And God, we ask that as we have spring break coming up, that you would keep us safe. And Lord, you would help us just to be fixing our thoughts and our minds on you as Easter's quickly approaching. Lord, so we give you this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, to properly understand the significance of the Palm Sunday story, you have to kind of take a minute and maybe close your eyes and transport yourself back in time about 2,000 years. Today's April 13th, so in your mind, take yourself back 2,000 years to April 13th, like say 32 AD, to the first century, to the land of Israel. And if you were to visit first century Israel, it would be really kind of a cool place to see. Israel is an interesting land. 
Uh, and if you would be there, you'd realize that the Jewish people had been there for about 1,500 years at this point. If you remember your Old Testament, you'll remember that the Jews, they were in, uh, in slavery in Egypt, right? They were down there for 400 years. And after 400 years in slavery, uh, Moses comes along and he brings them up out of Egypt and they come in, uh, into the desert and they spend 40 years wandering in the desert. And that's a lot of others, Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, all that kind of gives a story of their time in the desert. And after 40 years of wandering around in the desert, uh, they're finally able to enter in to the promised land, the land of Israel. And so from about the year, say, 1400 B.C. to the first century A.D., the Jews now are living in this promised land, the land of Israel. But uh, as soon as they got settled in the land, uh, they weren't always very obedient to what God had for them. And uh, because of their disobedience, their prosperity began to decline. Uh, the height of Judaism was around 1000 B.C. when David was king, and uh, the, the nation of Israel kind of was extended to its greatest borders. But after that, there began to be all these wicked kings, and Judaism began to decline. And in the year 586 B.C., uh, the King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came in, and he, he uh, ransacked Jerusalem, and he took all the Jews into captivity in Babylon. So they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And finally, they were able to return after 70 years, about 500 B.C. They rebuilt their temple. And so they'd been in, in the land of Israel then for 500 years after captivity in the first century. But it's kind of interesting because that last 500 years leading up to the first century A.D. Uh, was a time for Israel that was really marked by them being dominated by other world empires. I mean, they were, they were dominated by the Persians and King Xerxes for about 100 years. And after the Persians finally left, Alexander the Great, he came through on his conquests as he was making his way east towards India. And he came and he conquered the land of Israel. Um, and so he came through and they were under the dominion of the Greeks for a while. And finally, in the year uh, 63 A.D., the Romans came in. And the Roman general Pompey, maybe you guys are familiar with Pompey, he came in and, and the Roman legions, they sacked Jerusalem and they took control of the land of Israel. And they would uh, maintain control of the land of Israel for about the next 400 years. Uh, it was the beginning of what you guys maybe remember from your history classes. It's called the Pax Romana. It's the time of Roman peace. So that's what's going on here in the first century in the land of Israel. It's, uh, the Jewish people are living there, but it's a culture that's dominated by the Roman Empire. And uh, one of the things for the Jewish people is they had been under the hand of these foreign oppressors for so many years. It's been 500 years since they've been able to govern themselves. And so they're ready, they're ready to have a little bit of political freedom. They're ready to not have these other world uh, empires ruling over them. And they're waiting for somebody to come to be a king to restore the glory of the nation of Israel. And it's interesting because the Jewish prophets of old, as you read through the Old Testament, the Jewish prophets talked about somebody who was going to come and was going to restore this great kingdom of David. He was going to restore the glory of the nation of Israel. They identified him. His name was the Messiah is what they called him. And the Jewish prophets talked about this guy who would come and he would, you know, restore the glory of Israel. And so the people, they were ready for this guy to come. They had what was called a messianic expectation. They were excited for this guy to come, to get rid of the Romans. And kind of in their minds, they began to imagine maybe what he would be like. He would come and he was going to make Israel great again. He was going to kick the Romans out by military force. He'd be this great warrior, this military leader. And they would once again have freedom from the people that oppressed them. But that was not the case right now because they were under the thumb of the Roman Empire. But they still had hope. They had their, their hope in the Messiah to come. But the Jews, they also, they were people who were very much steeped in tradition. And it's the same way if you go to Israel today, uh, they kind of like their tradition. And one of their traditions was uh, Passover. 
they had the Feast of Passover that once a year in the springtime, um, all the Jewish males would come up to the city of Jerusalem and they'd celebrate the Feast of Passover together. And, uh, and so that's kind of the scene that was going on here with the Palm Sunday story as it begins, that uh, all the Jews, they were on their way to the city of Jerusalem to get ready to celebrate uh, the Passover. And so that's, that's the setting for the Palm Sunday story. So as we kind of, what I want to do is just work our way kind of slowly through this story. But as we do so, we're going to divide it into three parts. And the first thing that you're going to see is the arrival of Jesus as he comes for the Palm Sunday story. So the first thing is the arrival of Jesus. And you see that in verse 28. So look with me at verse 28. It says this. So after Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives... Let's stop there for just a second. So Jesus, he's on his way south. Jesus was from the region of the Galilee. He uh, was born in Nazareth, did most of his ministry around the Galilee. Now he's going south to the city of Jerusalem. And people, they would walk back then. They didn't have cars. They didn't have buses. So he was walking down to Jerusalem. It was a journey that maybe would take them a week. Down along the Jordan River Valley, uh, down near the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful area. And then they would begin to make a trek up into the mountains. Jerusalem's up in the mountains. And so they would begin to go past Jericho. And they're on their way to Jerusalem. And between Jericho and Jerusalem are these two cities called uh, Bethany and Bethphage. And Jesus stops there. Now, Bethany is an interesting city. Uh, It comes from two Hebrew words, Beth-ani. And it means house of the poor is what it translates to. And Bethany was the home of some of Jesus' best friends. They're mentioned in the Bible. Does anybody know who lived in Bethany? His friends? Lazarus was in Bethany. Yeah, very good. And, and then his sisters, Mary and Martha. Right? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus all lived in Bethany. And it's during this time, it's in, it's in the city of Bethany that Jesus comes, if you remember your story in John chapter 11, that Lazarus dies. So Jesus comes up there a couple days later and he calls on the tomb, says, Lazarus, come out. And he raises Lazarus from the dead. Now that's kind of a big deal. Bethany wasn't exactly a big town, and no doubt word of this guy coming back from the dead, he's been dead for three days, no doubt that would have gotten around kind of quick. And so maybe there's rumors kind of spreading around about Jesus. His reputation kind of precedes him. You know, people know that, hey, Passover's coming, and this great teacher, he's kind of, he's making his way up to Jerusalem. So what's he do? Look with me at verse 29. It says, then he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go to the village ahead of you, that's probably Bethphage, And as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Your attention for a moment. I love this story. It's one of my favorites because Jesus says, "Uh, guys, I've got a mission for you. And he he calls a couple of his disciples aside. And no doubt they're kind of excited. Maybe it's Peter, maybe it's James and John. Who knows who it is? But he calls them aside. He says, guys, come here for a minute. I've got something I need you to do. And they're like, you know, they're excited. Yes, Lord. Yes. You know, what is it? And he says, I need you to go on ahead of me. And yes, yes, you know, they're excited. They're ready for a mission from Jesus. He says, I need you to go over into the next city. And I need you to to pull off a little job for me. I need you to steal a donkey. And they're kind of like, steal a donkey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go in. And and if somebody says, what are you doing? Just just tell them the Lord needs it. The Lord needs it. And they're kind of like looking at each other and scratching their head. And so, you know, uh, and think about it. It's kind of the equivalent of, it's like Grand Theft Donkey. It's like he tells them, I need you to go to the next city over, and I need you to steal this donkey. They didn't have car. I don't know how you hotwire a donkey, um, but, but they do. They go on ahead, and they get this donkey. And he says, if somebody asks you, just, just tell them the Lord needs it. I'm trying to picture myself, uh, put myself in the shoes for a second. If Jesus said, you know, Jimmy, I, I need you to go get me like, like a 95 Honda Civic. 
and it's in the next city over, and just, just open the door, and if somebody asks you, just tell them the Lord needs it. But that's the scene, that's what's happening here. And so they go, and, and sure enough, you know, they, uh, they go into the city, and somebody asks them, says, hey, uh, uh, what, are you doing? what are you doing with my donkey? And, uh, and they just reply, well, the Lord needs it. And the guy says, okay. And they cruise off with the donkey. We don't really know how this happened, if Jesus just kind of miraculously worked it out in this guy's heart beforehand, that he was just cool with them taking the donkey. But nonetheless, they go in, and they take this donkey. And verse 35 says, they brought it to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on the, on the colt, the donkey, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And so they, they go and they fulfill their mission that Jesus told them to go get the donkey. They get the donkey, they bring it back. And Mark's gospel adds that as they, uh, they throw their, their cloaks on the donkey, that uh, Mark says that they also put down palm branches in front of the donkey for, uh, for it to walk along. And they were using these palm branches. And that's what we call today Palm Sunday. That's kind of where the association with that story comes from. Luke doesn't mention it, but Mark does in his accounts of this. But the question is, what's all this business with the donkey? Why does the Bible record some story of Jesus riding on a donkey? It's the only time in Scripture where you ever see Jesus riding an animal. Why? Well, it's kind of interesting because what Jesus was doing is he was fulfilling the words of a prophecy that happened 500 years beforehand. The prophet Zechariah in about 500 B.C. talked about this event that was going to come. And he said this Messiah, we talked about the Messiah who was to come, was going to do this very thing. Zechariah 9.9, let me read it for you. It says this. It says, See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And it goes on to say in verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 9, that he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. And so it talks about this great king who's to come. He's going to restore the glory of Israel. But this king's going to be identified because he comes and he's riding on this donkey. And so little do the people know, as Jesus is riding on this donkey, he's fulfilling a very significant prophecy that the Messiah would fulfill that was talked about 500 years beforehand. He's going to come, he's going to, you know, reestablish this great kingdom for Israel. It's interesting, you know, he didn't come in riding on a horse. A lot of times if you think about this military leader, maybe what the people had imagined, kind of their mental picture of what Messiah would look like, is he'd be this really big, strong guy, he'd be riding on like a beautiful stallion, and, uh, and, but that's not at all what happens. You know, Jesus comes in and he's riding on this very humble donkey. A donkey was often kind of a symbol of peace. Like, you're not too worried about getting chased by somebody on a donkey, right? Um, you know, it's not something that's going to chase you down too quick. They're pretty lazy. And so he comes in riding on this donkey. And, uh, and Jesus arrives at Jerusalem. He comes in and they're going to go down the Mount of Olives. They're going to cross through the Kidron Valley and into the old city of Jerusalem. So the first thing you see as you look at this is the arrival of Jesus. But the second thing you see then is the announcement of Jesus. The announcement of Jesus. Look with me at verse 37. It says, When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So here's the scene of what's going on here. Jesus, he's on this donkey, and he's making his way into the city of Jerusalem. Now, I mentioned that Passover was at hand, and in John's gospel, chapter 12, verse 1, tells us that this is happening six days before the Passover. Now, Passover was one of three Jewish feasts where all the Jewish people were required to go to Jerusalem. So everybody's making this pilgrimage, and they're coming down to Jerusalem. And the first century Jewish historian Josephus said that it would be as many as 2.7 million Jews that would make their way to the city of Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover. 
So Jerusalem, the population is just swelling. There's not enough room for people to stay. And so people were forced to kind of camp outside. And a lot of people who were kind of out of towners, who weren't from Jerusalem, would stay on this uh, hillside called the Mount of Olives. And so as Jesus is kind of making his way up there, um, you know, they begin to see him. Now, one thing you have to understand is just a little bit about Jewish culture, because they get really excited when they're going to have a good party. Jewish people, they know how to have a party. They know how to have a good feast. They love to eat. The food's phenomenal. It's like hummus is flowing. They've got, you know, all this great stuff. And uh, in fact, I, uh, as a side note, I lived in Israel for a little bit when I was in college. It's an awesome experience. And I remember I was there in the fall for one of the festivals they celebrate now, 2,000 years later. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And I remember that um, normally I lived about, say, I don't know, 100 yards from the, uh, the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall. Maybe you've seen pictures of that. It'd take me five minutes to walk there normally. Anyways, Day of Atonement, and there's like a half a million people that pack into this little area near the Western Wall. It took me 45 minutes to walk there, and I've never been in a crowd that tight before. It's really tight, you know, and I'm trying to make my way down there, and it's like one in the morning, and all these people, they're celebrating, and they're dancing and singing, and there's this little old lady in front of me, and it's, everybody's so excited to get to the Western Wall. You know, this, I'm trying not to, like, run over this little old lady. She looks at me and throws an elbow, and I'm like, you know, trying to make my way down to the Western Wall. And I finally got there after 45 minutes, but they are excited to get there. They're excited about their festivals. The Jews know how to throw a party. And so they're, they're all, you know, they're coming to the city of Jerusalem, and they see Jesus beginning to come in on this donkey. And they're excited people. They're kind of getting caught up in the moment. And, and they begin to joyfully praise God, the Bible says. And as they're getting caught up in the emotion of the thing, they ascribe a messianic title to Jesus. That's very significant, because what they say here in verse 38... They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, that's a quotation from Psalm 118, verse 26. Maybe your Bible has a little footnote there that tells you that. That's a messianic psalm, and it talks about this, again, this king who was going to come and restore the fortunes of Israel. They're ascribing this messianic title to Jesus. They're saying, hey, this guy who's coming riding on the donkey, that's the Messiah. That's him. How do we know this? How do we know that you know, we didn't just make an association there? Well, look at what the Pharisees say. Look at the very next verse. Verse 39, that some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees, see, they're furious about what's happening because they understand the significance of what the people are saying. If Jesus is the Messiah, it means two things for them. One, it means that they're no longer the spiritual big shots around town. And two, means they're out of a job. And so they don't want this to happen. They don't want, you know, they just like stuff going kind of the way it is. They understand what's, what's going on. But I love how Jesus responds to them. It says in verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And I think it's so interesting, you know, it just, he's saying in effect that you can't stop the people from saying what is true. What they're saying is true, that I am the Messiah who was prophesied to come. Jesus says you can't stop the people from saying what is true. But I think it's very interesting if you look at this scene and see who it is that's kind of involved here. Two times in verse 37 and verse 39, it talks about these people and it identifies them as the crowd, the crowd of people. And the crowd of people is highly charged with emotion. I mentioned, you know, they're really excited. It's Passover's coming. Everybody's coming into Jerusalem. They're singing songs. And it's an emotional scene. And everybody's kind of caught up in the moment. And the reality is they don't really understand what it is they're saying. Why? How do we know that? Because six days later, that very same crowd is going to be yelling, Crucify! Crucify! As Jesus was getting ready to be taken to the cross. It goes from, uh, you know, cheers of joy to jeers. With Jesus. Mark chapter 15, verse 15 says this that wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released another prisoner and had Jesus flogged 
and handed him over to be crucified. I think it's so interesting how quickly the crowd turned. See, declaring Jesus as Messiah, it's not, it's not an emotional decision to be taken lightly. It's not something you do just to follow the crowd. It's got to be a decision that's made with a level head from a pure heart. These people, they were just caught up in the moment. They were saying, yeah, this sounds really good at the moment. They didn't understand the significance of what it was they were saying. So we see the arrival of Jesus. You see the announcement of Jesus. But the third thing you see here is the anguish of Jesus. Look with me at verse 41. It says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Um, And uh, verse 42, and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. And so Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. He's on this donkey. People are yelling, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus looks up and he sees the city of Jerusalem sitting there. Now, Jerusalem's a beautiful city and it's almost entirely made of this stone called limestone. Limestone's very interesting. In fact, if you guys go listen to Pastor Gary's sermon after this, he's, uh, it's a video he took while he was in Israel, and you can see some limestone behind him. But it's like a white-colored stone, and it's got a metallic quality to it. And so when the sun hits it, it lights up. And so Jesus is coming down the Mount of Olives. The sun rises over him from the east, and it just lights up the whole city of Jerusalem. It almost looks like this beautiful golden. It's a magnificent sight. And Jesus sees the city, and he begins to weep. It's interesting what he says next because he kind of turns his focus and he makes a prophecy about something that's going to happen to the city of Jerusalem. Look with me at verse 43. He says, The days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time. God's coming to you. So Jesus here, he prophesies about the future destruction of the city of uh, Jerusalem. And it's interesting that this prophecy that Jesus makes, it's fulfilled 40 years later. He says this in approximately 32 AD. In the year 70 AD, the Roman emperor Titus Vespasian, he's going to come in with the Roman legions. They're going to ransack Jerusalem. They're going to cut down all the olive trees that are nearby. They're going to pile them in the temple and they're going to burn the temple in Jerusalem. Once they've burned it, then they they throw ropes around it and they begin to tear down this magnificent temple and they basically push all the stones off the side of the temple mount. It's kind of like if you were to clear a table and push all the stones off the side. And you can go to Israel today and you can see these stones that have been pushed off and that that lay broken on the ground below as fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus made 2,000 years ago. But I noticed something interesting. Look with me again at verse 41. It says, As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city... And he wept over it. And it's such an interesting contrast, isn't it? Look at how Jesus responds. He comes to the city and he's weeping. He's broken. Yet, you know, while he's weeping, the people are having these shouts of joy. And it's this contrasting situation. There's these people who are filled with excitement. They're happy. They're joyous. And yet Jesus, he kind of weeps. Why is that? Is it because of the destruction of the temple that he prophesies? Yeah, that's part of it. But there's a much greater reason. That reason's in verse 44. He says, because you, he's talking to the Jewish people, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming. See, little did they know that Jesus was fulfilling prophecy in their midst. The people were expecting an earthly king. Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world, he told Pilate. So they missed it. Jesus came and he walked among them. And these people, they had no idea that God was walking in their midst. They had no idea. They completely missed the significance of what it was that was happening. That's why Jesus wept. They did not recognize the time of God's coming to them. And what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? See, the real significance of the Palm Sunday story 
is remembering that Jesus came. That 2,000 years ago, God descended from heaven. He became part of his creation. That he, uh, he breathed our air. He felt our pain. He experienced our humanity. And he died on a cross that we might have forgiveness from sins. Jesus came to restore perfect fellowship between God and man that was broken in the garden. He came to conquer sin and death that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And so the question for you is, you know, what is it you're going to do with this information? What is it you're going to do? You see in the story, you see the arrival of Jesus. You see the announcement of Jesus. You see the anguish of Jesus. But what is it you're going to do to respond to the Palm Sunday story? What are you going to do at the time of Jesus coming to you? There's kind of three general responses you see. The first thing you see is people choose, they're just going to ignore it. They don't buy the whole thing. They, they, just, they opt for disbelief. They're not, going to, they're not going to worry about it. Let me tell you this. I've been there and I've seen it myself. There is an empty tomb in Jerusalem. There's an empty tomb that his body was laid in. Three days later, he rose again and um, is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. No other world religion proclaims a living God. You know, uh, Buddha's in the ground, Muhammad's in the ground, Gandhi's in the ground. We, we serve a living God. Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty in Jerusalem. When Jesus came, he fulfilled more than 300 prophecies from the Old Testament. So let me just tell you, disbelief is not a real option. Choosing to ignore it, put it off for later, that's not a real option. Second thing is some people choose, you know, they're going to join the crowd. They're going to join the crowd. They're going to follow Jesus for a time, but so quickly they'll change their tune. They kind of fall away. Think about how the crowd was here. You know, one day they're saying, hey, you know, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the Messiah. Six days later, they're yelling crucify. They're kind of wishy-washy. They're hot and cold. They're not fully on board with Jesus. They follow Jesus when it's convenient. Jesus isn't the type of God to be followed when it's convenient. You're either all in or all out. The third option is people choose to follow him all the way. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must take up his cross daily and follow me. People choose to identify their life with his. And that's what the whole Palm Sunday story is really about. It's about Jesus came to redeem us from sin and death. And that through the sacrifice that he would make six days later at Calvary, that he would give his life for the sins of the world, that we can have life through him. The only option is to choose to identify our lives with his. And that's my prayer for you all. As I read this story, I think about how sad it is that so many people don't recognize the time of God's coming to them. They miss the whole thing. Sure, maybe they come to church every so often. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you come to church and when it's convenient for you, you say, yeah, sure, I believe in Jesus. I buy this whole kind of Christianity thing. But the next, you know, but the next week at school, you're totally on the other page. I'm going to just tell you that doesn't work. That doesn't work. My prayer for you is that you don't miss the time of God's coming to you. That you wouldn't be like these people who, uh, who didn't understand the significance that God walked among them and they had the opportunity to understand that. So... Let me pray for you all. Lord, we thank you for the Palm Sunday story. We thank you, Lord, that you did come 2,000 years ago. Lord, that you died on a cross that we might live. And I think even of the students in this room this morning. Lord, I pray for any of them that don't know you. Lord, that they wouldn't miss the time of your coming. Lord, that they would understand the significance, Lord, that you came to do for them what they could never do for themselves. You came to redeem them from sin and death. You came then to live life. Lord, you gave your life that we might live. We thank you that we can have salvation in Jesus, that there's no other name given under heaven that which, by which we might be saved, Lord. We thank you for that. I'm just going to pause in my prayer. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe, you, uh, maybe you've thought about it. Maybe you've toyed with that idea. Let me just give you the opportunity today to make your heart right with God. You can just pray after me a simple prayer. It goes like this. Lord, I thank you that you came. 
I thank you that you gave your life for me. I thank you that you offer forgiveness from sin. And I pray that you would come into my life, that you would forgive me, that you would be my Lord and my God, that I might live forever with you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we do thank you for this time. We ask that you bless us this week in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. For additional teachings and to learn more about the Cornerstone Chapel Youth Group, visit us online at cornerstonechapel.net.